And thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Good to be back. And here's a promise. I'm going to just... I'm going to throw us both under the bus uh, figuratively and uh, metaphorically, Matt. This is going to be a one-take intro, straight into an interview, one-take outro. We put it up this afternoon. There you go. Well, we actually have to do that, (laughs) given the few technical difficulties uh, plague the interview that we had. But anyway, we we don't need to uh, show everyone the, uh, the hamster on the wheel that is Radio Brews News or... You know, show them pull, the, pull the curtain across and, and show them that uh, Radio Brews News is actually a little bloke with green hair behind a big curtain pulling levers and a very deep voice. Exactly, exactly. How's your week been, Prof? Uh, last week, just after we went live last week, you posted an article, uh, Article 2, about your man challenge. Um, you, you'd posted an article and you talked a little bit about the, the health side and last week you revealed that you'd gone with man challenge. How's, uh, how's that going this week? Yeah, really good. We're... Uh, getting right into it and seeing results, which is which I, I guess is the main thing. And the, I think probably the most pleasing thing that has surprised me is the number of phone calls and emails and messages that I've received from, from blokes, A, wishing me well, B, finding out how they can, uh, you know, we, we look forward to, you know, seeing the results and all that sort of thing. But more importantly, I think uh, guys genuinely interested in, you know, if it comes around again, let me know. I wouldn't mind... Uh, so what I'm hoping to do is that we can get some kind of, you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, blokes in beer or a, uh, you know, Australian Brews News uh, man challenge team together perhaps. And uh, not that you get together and exercise and that sort of thing, but you, you just uh, all sign up together. And, and I guess we have a look at a bit of a, a cumulative um, you know, health improvement. That sounds great. That sounds very good. So, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly be part of that. Um, so, um, mate, in other news this week, um, let's see. Uh, my, I finally got around to not just running but also kegging my Cooper's uh, Brewart beer in from the uh, Beer Droid. Can I just say, Matt, I, I, I kind of feel uh, invested in, in your inaugural brew. Um, mainly because, uh, as previous as listeners to the previous podcast will know, uh, I spent you know thirteen days um, living in the in the uh, Casa del Kierkegaard, and I shared the downstairs with um, well on alternate nights, the um, either the washer or the dryer um, going through its cycles, but in between that there was just the gentle hum of the brew art coming from your office down at, at, sort of at the other end of the corridor there behind the laundry. Um, and so I couldn't help, you know, of a morning I'd sort of, you know, get up and do my exercise and then I'd pop in and see how the brewer, oh, yeah, that's day, <laughs> day eight of fermentation, you know, and I think, oh, here we go, you know. So uh, I'm very keen to, to hear, if, if not taste, um, how it all comes out. Well, the total brew time ended up, according to the app that I've got on my phone, uh, was 27 days, 19 hours. And I think it was, let me see, it was ready for, ready to keg uh, on the 7th of August. Um, and then I had to put it in storage for the duration of the exhibition and only got around to kegging it yesterday. So it's had a fairly good, long, cold chill at three degrees. But- that's a proper lagering. That is proper lagering. Time is going to be the extra ingredient in this exactly. beer, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, but I managed to have a little sip as it, um, as they recommend. The video says <laughs> pour a little bit into a glass and you know check it for uh, you know, unusual aromas and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and taste. And it, it certainly tasted okay. Um, the thing more than anything that uh, really impressed me was that as you're looking through the clear tube as it's going into these um, goon bag bladders, the, the five-litre goon bag. It doesn't sound all of that nice, but the, the five-litre goon bag bladder, um, the tube that it goes through is uh, clear, so you can see it. And it was the most, it was the most lovely, bright, um, lager-looking uh, beer, you know, not yeasty at all. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it's going to taste um, when, it, when it goes through. I've got two weeks of conditioning now in the keg. Um, for it to sort of get a nice level of carbonation, but uh, yeah, it, it certainly was tasting uh, the way it should, and uh, I'm quite yeah, really quite interested to see how it goes because it is, yeah, it, it is an interesting piece of kit, Prof, and uh, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment to, to the very end. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, but, but it, out of interest, uh, just in the process up to this point, have you found that it has had, I guess, a minimal impact on you know the the daily life 
kind of you know uh, rituals and and procedures and that sort of thing. Like, has it been? Yeah, it's just been there, and because it does so much of the stuff automatically or electronically, have you found that, like some some home brewers find, you know, it's the oh bugger, you know, I, I was out all day mm. and temperature got up a little bit too high or I should have racked it off or I should have done this. Do you find that it's taken that element of, of home brewing away? Absolutely. It, it, it's been very, uh, you know, it, it's been very simple um, doing, doing you, there, there's about an hour of prep. Um, when you first get going, you, you put the sanitizer into the um, droid itself to just completely clear everything. You, you put it in and then you refill it. Uh, once, once you've given a quick rinse, then you refill it with water, add the ingredients, put it on, turn it on, and you're there. And so it's, it's probably an, only an hour, including all of the, the, the prep stuff. And then it just sits there. And as you said, you know, you've got this nice little hum as the compressor turns on when, the, when it's trying to keep the temperature within, within the right range. Um, the kegging stage... Now, I, I strictly followed the video, um, which is, I think, designed... It's part promotion, part instruction, and it's designed to make it look very, very simple. Um, I would actually like to see a little bit more focus on sanitation because you, you, you do sanitise all of the parts of the kegging um, in, 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 again, the solution that's provided. Um, but then, you know, there's this, there is a little bit of fiddly stuff that I can see potential for contamination to get in. And, um, yeah. But I did it according to the video just to, to see how it would go. But um, I have invested in a spray bottle and some sanitising solution that for all future ones, I'll do it a little bit more um, along the lines of how I think it should be done. Um, but then again, we'll wait. It's because I wanted to see how the beer came out at the end following strictly their... Um, video uh yeah no we'll see but no, look it, it it certainly does what it uh, says on the box um you know the, the the very elegant box i might add um it's it, it's it's not difficult it's not um you know it, it, it'll be what the how the beer comes out in the end and i, I think i did a i told you i did a check pilsner just as something that was a little bit um, harder to do than your average uh, coopers are but uh yeah no look it's certainly i don't think it'll meet everybody's need um, you know, there are some people who want to have a lot more, you know, do much more of the all grain. But you know, I've done the very basic, just take the ingredients as they came, put it in. I'll have a little bit of a play around in future with my own recipes to come up with, um, you know, tweaking it a little bit. I might even play around with dry hopping. And it certainly does have that uh, ability to do, to, to do those sorts of things. Um, but I, I still think that you'd be able to do a 10-litre, you know, all grain brew on your stovetop and incorporate that into the fermenter as well. So, yeah, look, mate, I, I, it's a really nice little piece of kit, and uh, yeah, I, I certainly see the, a lot of ups in it. Um, but as they say, time will tell and the taste will tell. Yeah, you may not be aware, Matt, but uh, coming up in Adelaide later in the year is the um, Australian National Homebrewers Conference. And uh, perhaps, you know, in perhaps not this year, but yeah, perhaps in two years' time, you might uh, have. have improved your skill level to the point where you'd feel confident uh, perhaps entering a, a couple of bottles in the uh, homebrew comp? I, I, mate, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And uh, actually, that... Was that a nice segue? Funnily enough, yeah. We uh, we are going to be talking to uh, somebody. Uh, maybe you'd like to intro our next guest. Well, I think our next guest, Matt, if I'm not sadly mistaken, is actually one of the conveners of or the organisers of this year's Australian National Homebrewers Conference. Uh, many people, uh, Melbourne-based, uh, and also, I guess, around the country, would be familiar with the very good work of John Preston from uh, Grain and Grape in Yarraville here in Victoria, which is a, both a, a homebrew uh, haven, um, but also, uh, I guess, the epicentre of a lot of um, the innovation um, in, in homebrewing, uh, with their homebrew clubs that they host there, as well as uh, some professional brewers who, have, I guess, you know, made their chops there many years ago and who still come back and have um, system wars each year during Good Beer Week where, uh, you know, beers are made on different systems and then uh, and then stacked against each other. So it'll be very interesting to um, have a chat to John and should we perhaps even just get underway and say Let's welcome do that now. to Radio Brews News, John Preston. Mate, who is John Preston? Well, I'm a 57-year-old homebrew shop operator, I guess you could say. Um, just mad keen on the whole concept of beer. I, I love beer as a, as a sort of late teens, early 20 guy, but it was a real VB kind of an experience in those days. But all took off with the start of um, the 
Loaded Dog Pub Brewery in, uh, in North Fitzroy in, I think, 87. 87. So you stumbled in there and your life was changed forever? Sort of. <laughs> we, uh, I had a friend, Laurie Carr, um, and we'd heard this pub uh, was changing to a pub brewery. At that time, it was walking distance from home, so we headed around one time. The, um, the beer I wasn't so enthused with, uh, the stuff that was being produced there, although I really, I don't know whether I was any sort of a judge at that time, but I remember trying Hackershaw Wheat Beer, which was just such a totally different taste experience for me that um, it just really got us fired up. And so not long after that, we started home brewing, went down to Australian Home Brewing in um, Hughesdale in Post Road, as it was then, got a home brew kit, you know, with a Cooper's kit and made our first beer. And Cooper's Kits had only been around for 10 years by that stage, so it's still the, relatively the early days of our home brewing as well. That's right. Um, you know, I'd known people who'd done it, I'd heard about it. Um, Cooper's were certainly the people who got it started. I think actually that Gough Whitlam legalised it while he was in, in the 70s, another great thing that Gough did. Um, really more than anything as a result of the southern European migrants making wine at home, and that was actually illegal until... Uh, Goff legalised it. It was legalised in Britain about the same time as well, I think, mm. so it's probably a bit of a worldwide And it wasn't trend. specifically legalising homebrew, it was changing the excise laws to make um, around that, and that was, yeah, 1973. But at the same time, he also yep. changed uh, the, the excise on commercial brewers quite substantially and uh, it's one of those funny things that Cooper's really took a hit and that actually the the change in the excise rules actually made a whole lot of the uh, breweries um, that were operating then unviable essentially because they were paying so much more excise and uh, Cooper's in 77 created the homebrew kits um, that have you know make up I think 15 to 20 percent of their uh, profits these days. Um, so it, 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 it was giving with one hand and taking with the other, if my uh, memory of history is correct there. Yeah, that's, I knew some of that, but not, not all of it. That's very interesting. Mm. We probably should uh, speak to our favourite beer historian, Brett uh, Stubbs, about that at some stage. But anyway, um, so the, the, anyway, in the, the Loaded Dog started in 87. You uh, tried the Hackershaw Wheat Beer, um, bought yourself a Cooper's kit and got into home brewing yourself. Is that the point at which your life changed or was it a little bit more of a uh, transition? It, no, I think it really was a big thing just trying that beer and thinking that I loved beer but not really knowing anything about it. I mean, there were a whole lot of other things that happened. I went to Europe in 87 as well and while once again it was a bit of an uneducated trip in terms of beer, it was tasting a whole lot of different things. My ex-wife was Dutch and so we went to Holland and Belgium and tried some beers there once again I didn't know a lot about it at that time but just tasting some different things so when I got back from that trip, well I suppose about the same time that we'd started brewing we started searching around secondhand bookshops for or bookshops generally but then the secondhand bookshops for brewing books uh, started getting some malt extract and some grain and sort of playing a bigger part ourselves I guess in the recipe making and uh, my friend and I, Laurie, were both public servants, myself with the uh, Gas and Fuel and he with the SEC, and it was the Jeff Kennett days of redundancies and all that sort of stuff. So after a few years, we pulled our cash, such as it was, and uh, opened a shop down at Edithvale called Southern Home Brewing. Um, we had thought about starting a brewery. There were a couple of little ones, uh, Wattle Lager out in, the, um, out in the eastern suburbs, making a really nice little lager. And um, apart from those few pub breweries, Grand Ridge, which was known as Streslecki in those days, but really, I'm really glad I didn't start a brewery in those days because I don't <laughs> think we would have gone very well. <laughs> Maybe that uh, government payout that you received uh, would not have uh, done so well. I don't think so. <laughs> I've still got a plan at home that I made it about, I think about 88, by setting up a brewery in the, uh, in the shed of my house back then and uh, I think it'll stay there it's uh, uh, stick to your knitting I think they say that's uh, funny enough that's one of uh, Tim Cooper's whenever I speak to him that's one of his favorite uh, aphorisms yeah well look I think I've thought about it many times that the move into a brewery and um, I probably doesn't quite 
my skills or personality maybe even don't lend itself to it. Uh, and so I think probably just doing what you do well and, and trying to keep on improving, it's the way to go. John, you're probably seen very much as, as something of a, a mentor to a lot of uh, professional, if you like, uh, or people who rely on brewing today um, for, for their livelihood. Um, you've seen a lot of them come through as, uh, you know, as novices, as, as, as hopeful home brewers, and have now sort of seen them, you know, go off and, and, and either start their own label or, or brew for somebody else. Who are some of the, um, the names that some of our listeners might be familiar with, who I guess you, you got to, you know, take hand in hand on those, those first few steps? Um, I think, well, I suppose it, it comes in two brackets, really. There are the employees and there are the, the customers. And one that's probably one of the best known out there is Brendan O'Sullivan, who's now the head brewer at Three Ravens and such a sort of driving force in uh, sour and funky beers out there with A&HC and just, just by himself. Um, really great guy, Brendan. Um, Dan Dainton, uh, who's been contract brewing for a number of years but has now just opened his brewery down at Caram Downs. So once again, a great guy, Dan. He's really taken a big leap with a big uh, brewery down there and has actually just employed another of my ex-employees as a trainee brewer. That's Peter Lowndes, and Peter's been a great guy yep. over many years. Sam Slaney um, was my second ever employee and, and left to work at um, the Victoria Valley Distillery, then worked at Thunder Road for a number of years and is back now at Victoria Valley. So he was a guy who worked as a geologist, or trained as a geologist originally and worked as a geologist for a little while, but we've really got the brewing bug. Um, and just in terms of the number, there are just a phenomenal number, I guess, of uh, craft brewers who started as home brewers um, who've come through. Dave Golding from Red Hill, um, he did our original website, I think, in about 1998 or something like that while he was planning for the Red Hill Brewery and he's been a great supporter of ours. We've known him for many years. Um, Simon Haylock uh, is an old friend. He actually came into our shop in 1990, joined a club. I think he won the second Brewer of the Year with uh, Bayside Brewers Club in about 91 or 92 and later um, did the course at Ballarat. He was a marketing guy, did the course at Ballarat, um, worked for a couple of years at Matilda Bay and then was head brewer at Red Hill. Then, um, And he's actually back now working for me three days a week, helping to sell uh, commercial browmeisters and setting up systems for people in pub breweries and that sort of thing. So I'm sure there are more. You, know, you think of um, Matt Houghton from Boat Rocker. Uh, Paul Holgate was an early um, Mad King all-grain brewer when he was a, a commercial chemical sales rep, I guess. <laughs> on a bit bigger scale than that, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there are more, I suppose. But Dave Benighton, we really remember early on, my uh, ex-partner uh, designed, I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of their original brews that helped him design, sat down and designed the recipe with me in about, once again, probably 98 or 99 or something like that. He would have had hair back in those days. Uh, easy. Uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave <laughs> listens to about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love you, Dave. He, he, he looked much more the surfy in those days. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Absolutely, certainly was. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it, it, that, that change in his appearance, Matt, just indicates just how long uh, John has been sort of at the at, at the centre of uh, you know a, a lot of the the brewing innovation that well, we experience and, and enjoy now. And, and and that's the thing. I mean, 1987. I, I mean, John's uh, probably. And I don't. I don't want to uh, put the. Uh, the age uh, barriers on you, on you, John, but you've got 10 years on me. So uh, in, in 87, I had only just acquired my drinking licence. Um, okay. So I was you know, just turned 18. Um, so you would have been in your mid to late 20s at that stage and uh, when you tried That's to... That's right, yeah. So 87, so I was, I was 28. And, yep. and the beer that changed my... Perception, or the first beer that I really remember was the Matilda Bay Redback, um, and you decided the Hackershaw wheat beer. I really could have mentioned that as being the Australian beer. Really, as I said, there wasn't much around. There were those beers from Streslecki, which became Grand Ridge, uh, but actually in a bottle uh, from a bottle shop, Redback, 
um, and they had versions of Dog Bolter, I think. You know, they were sort of about it. Mm, and you know, it in a bottle that you could buy. Yeah. And, and like you, I've got no idea at all whether it was a good beer um, and whether the beer that I'm drinking now is anywhere near what the Redback that I tried, you know, 30-odd years ago was. But all I remember knowing is that it was different from anything that I'd had before. Um, and it, it sounds like when you were talking about the Loaded Dog, you, that was your same experience. You can't remember whether the, the beers were actually good. They were just different to, to, to what you knew. Exactly right. Yep. And, it was the, and it was the experience as much as anything. I mean, if you think about the pub, it was incredibly popular. I just remember Q's down the road, you know, getting in on a Friday night and that sort of thing. So it really did fire the imagination of people, possibly not so much for the beer, but just for the fact that it was something different. Um, but, you yeah, know, look, it was a great time and a great place, I think. So having uh, opened your home brew store in 1990, um, you know, what have you noticed in the 10 years between 1990 and 2000 and maybe the period 2000 to sort of the, the, the current has there been much of a change in the uh, beers that craft breweries have been making and the beers that home brewers have been making? Well, you know, we talk about in home brewing the sort of a period uh, in which the American beers or American hops, I should say, became available because in the early nineties it was we saw ourselves as an all grain business, but we sold an awful lot of kits. Uh, with the hops we sold were. Goldings, Fuggles, Halatau, Sarts, um, and then Pride of Ringwood, and a few others, and some Australian versions of Halatau. We did get some uh, some New Zealand hops, which provided a bit of interest, but really I think it was when Cascade hit in, look, I'm not sure exactly the year, but I reckon about 96 or something like that, and Pale Ale became something other than English Pale Ale or IPA, and that made a huge difference um, to just to the whole market. Um, but or I suppose to the beers that were being made is probably a better way to put it. I mean, the, the later... Uh, so the so, so that, that had a different business. So, yeah. Sorry, John, that had a difference to... That's okay. Made, made a difference to home brewers as well as commercial brewers because it was around that time that Little Creatures uh, launched in late 99, 2000. Um, but you, you notice that these hops had made a difference to the home brewers' approach to home brewing even before then, did you? Absolutely. Look, yeah, I I'm not so sure about the timing, but uh, the uh, well, it was certainly earlier than '99. Uh, anyway, the uh, we were reading about them in because we started bringing in liquid yeasts from Y yeast virtually as soon as we opened, and also um, uh, Zymergy, uh, the um, American Home Brewers magazine, and they, you know, talked about. <laughs> Multiple hopping and huge levels of hopping as we saw them then. You know, we thought of uh, sort of Pilsner Hotel as being a highly hopped beer, a bitter beer, uh, and maybe you'd go to a stout or something like that that, you, that you'd also think in that way, but it just changed things completely. These days, uh, you read people describing Pilsner Raquel as being an approachable Pilsner, an approachable Pilsner as if. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I suppose I should mention the other um, influence, which I'm sure just about everybody mentions, is that um, uh, Michael Jackson's Beer Hunter came out in Australia first, I think, in about 88 or 89. And so that was a big influence as well. And of course, we saw what was happening in Europe there. And there was just a one episode on the States and um, I can't remember. remember um, yeah, anyway, a brewery in the States. And so you can sort of see something was happening there just from that episode. But talking about um, Flanders Reds and other such things that we hadn't got to try at that time. John, coming up <laughs> soon uh, in Adelaide, we've got uh, the ANHC. Tell us a little bit, a, a little bit about your involvement and what um, people could expect uh, this year in Adelaide. Okay. Um, well, I had been to the US to the uh, National Home Brewers Conference two or three times and at the conference in Denver in I think 2007 I met Peter Simons from Sydney who was a really mad keen and he's still a really mad keen brewer we sort of had a bit of a chat and said we've got to have a conference we've got to get one get one organized I spoke to him when we got back and he didn't feel that he had a sort of cohesive enough group to get one going in Sydney so I had made contact we both made contact with uh, Jamil Zanchef and John Palmer and I got in touch with them and they said they'd love to come out. Um, 
I got in touch with Mark Hibbard from the AABC, so the Australian um, Home Brewing Championships, and uh, and then uh, contacted a bunch of guys who were doing a BJCP, so a beer judge course, actually at the shop at the time. Rod Patterson, one of my employees, was running it, and Andy Davison, who became the chairman of the committee, you know, just a wonderful guy and a real leader of the uh, the organisation over the years. Um, Phil Young, uh, who's looked after program throughout that time, and Mark Johnston, who's looked after sponsorship, uh, as well as a whole lot of other guys. We've had a couple of solicitors, which helped in setting up and have also helped in some recent issues we've been having. Um, uh, James McPherson, who was a terrific um, designer, graphic designer and web designer and all that sort of stuff. Locke Strong, who had a really big um, interest in food and also was really good with communications, ran our newsletters in the first couple of conferences. Uh, so a really great bunch of guys. We just got together, um, invited uh, uh, Jamil and John out formally and uh, set up that first conference. Probably the, the biggest thing I think that happened was finding a venue in William Angles which we've had a great relationship with over the years. Uh, one of the things that we've just got to maintain as we move away from Melbourne, the first three conferences are in Melbourne, fourth one in Canberra, and this one will be in Adelaide in October. Uh, but William Angles were terrific uh, for us in those first few conferences. John, I, I was lucky enough to to get to the very first ANHC when it was in Melbourne. And, you know, quite apart from the event being an amazing event from a first-up um, organisation, um, one of the things that really stuck out for me was the very first beer and food dinner um, that you did at the William Anglis there. And to my mind, it is still um, one of the best beer and food dinners that I've ever been to, um, and that's, you know, bar anything. Um, it was just so well done the way that you had the, the, the home brewers um, creating the beer, but you had food that just matched so beautifully to the to the beer is have you found that that's something you've been able to replicate? Uh, look, I think we've talked about it again recently, and we still feel that first one was the best one. I guess you often feel that way about you know the first album or whatever it happens to be, but uh, we really just it was such a great experience working with the William Angus chefs for the first time. I mean, to just speak about William Angus a little bit more that. They were so great in allowing us to serve home brew. You know, most venues make their money out of alcohol serving packages. So just to be able to do that in the first place was terrific. But then to be able to work with what's probably the premier um, food training institution in Australia was great. And we had uh, groups of students who worked on the um, the design of the recipes, the um preparation and also table setting and that sort of thing. Um, Andy Davison and Locke Strong and Phil Young worked on the um, the recipe design and the pairings. And I agree, it was just a fantastic experience. And I think in some ways we've had our, I guess you would call it a celebrity chef kind of a model that's, um, that we've followed on with, with some other dinners. And I don't think any of them quite matched the way that we did it ourselves. That's yeah, without being critical of any of those, because certainly um, Scott Thomas and uh, Brendan Sheldrick from Rosetta uh, and um, Chris Badenock, you know, we've had some terrific people to work with throughout that time. Mm. But I, I guess that's always the, the, the trouble you have um, from a marketing point of view, something that Pete and I talked about a little bit in the intro, um, is to, to get a, a, a name along, then they also have... An, you know, an ego, not in the pejorative sense, but they've got something that they want to demonstrate and something that they want to wear. Whereas in that very first one, it wasn't really, it was about the beer and the food and nothing else and just trying to bring those two things together without a chef or without a, um, you know, and, and all of the home brewers were fairly humble uh, guys. Um, and, and that does seem to, to be a problem. Uh, anytime you start getting a, a name involved, they want to be the name as opposed to the just the elegance of the match. I think most of them have been pretty good in that way. We've actually asked them, I suppose, to, to contribute, um, and they've been involved in those meetings early on. But um, I think probably the unique thing about it is, apart from the fact that it's home brewers actually brewing the beers, 
it's also that we start with the beer and we, we choose some brewers who've been doing really well in competitions in recent years and multiple competitions and choose their best beers and then try to work out four that could work fairly well um, in terms of a, a meal, a four-course meal, and then the food follows the beer. So that's you know, the model that we've tried to concentrate on over the years. John, for those hoping to uh, get along to this year's conference, uh, what are the details? Well, the conference is running on the 13th, 14th and 15th of October in Adelaide. You can buy tickets at www.anhc.com.au. Um, it's, so the first day, the Thursday is actually the judging of the, um, the beer awards, the um, Amateur Brewing Awards. Then a Cooper's tour in the afternoon and in the evening is our pairing dinner, the one sort of the equivalent of what we've been just talking about, which will be really interesting, organised completely by the Adelaide crew with very little input from us. Uh, Friday and Saturday are two days of presentations. Um, Our international guests this year, we have Mitch Steele from Stone, or until recently from Stone, so it's very interesting that he's just left and so we're looking forward to hearing uh, you know what's happening with his uh, new brewery, new startup. Uh, but so he's doing a presentation on IPAs from yesteryear to modern day. Uh, that'll have some stone tastings and some British IPA tastings, uh, and also a presentation on hops. Um, our second presenter, our second international presenter, is uh, Stan Hieronymus, the writer. And so Stan, I think most people would know almost homebrewers would know uh, Brew Like a Monk, which is a fantastic book. As someone who likes to read a lot, you know, it's a really readable book and gives great sort of history as well as recipes. Uh, so looking really looking forward to staying on that and also on um, uh, on wheat beer. Uh, he's also on, the hop, on our hot panel, so we have a hot panel this year as well. Um, the last one, and probably the most interesting, I think, is um, Bert uh, Van Hecker, Who's a, he's got his own brewery called Bomb Brewery. He's actually so that's sort of a microbrewery, I suppose, in uh, in Belgium. He has brewed. Everyone would be interested to know he's actually brewed at Orval and Rodenbach, and also uh, has worked at New Belgium in uh, in Fort Collins. Um, he's a really passionate sort of guy. He's he malts his own barley. He toasts his oak. And we're going to have a whole lot of beers that we can taste from him. He's doing one presentation called "What Makes It Belgium." So Belgium. So just working through all of those places he's worked at, I guess, and uh, and then a second one on on his own. Uh, yeah, he's he's known, I think, uh, colloquially as the the beer baker. I That's right, or malt yeah, baker. Yeah. The malt baker, and and just one of the most yeah. interesting, uh, like like say passionate, but his yeah. I guess just just the slant, the, the, just the way he looks at things, um, and whether or not it's a uh, a, a translation um, issue, but he's he's just one of the most engaging and interesting people that I've ever spoken to. Yep, yeah, seems like a really trivial. I haven't actually spoken to him, but we've had lots and lots of emails go backwards and forwards, and uh, some of it. Uh, uh, I'm sure we'll have to watch out for a bit of censorship that might have to happen during that presentation. I think. <laughs> yeah, it'll it, it, be that'll be a really fun. Price of admission alone. Yeah, just to see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and just a couple of the other presentations that um, I'm really looking forward to. One is I did mention earlier. Uh, Brendan O'Sullivan is doing one on different kind of um, kettle souring techniques using different cultures. So he's actually grabbed half a dozen fresh work kits that we've made here um, pre-hopping and he's going to uh, make up cultures through different uh, kettle souring techniques for tasting for everyone at the presentation. I mean, I have to say tasting is something that we really concentrate on and I think we probably get more uh, beers in people's hands than at any conference anywhere, probably anywhere in the world because, you know, you think of the US conference where there's 3,000 people, it's pretty difficult to serve even, you know, 500 at a session, four beers or something like that. But we can do it with 200 people at ours. So that really works well. And so I'm looking forward to that one. And the other one, it's sort of a, a two-parter, and that is we're having a – we nearly always have a home brewer to pro brewer type session. 
this one we're having um, uh, Derek Hales from Bad Shepherd, Kev Hingston from Pact, Ryan Davidson from Little Bang, and Michael Leslie, another of my ex-employees, <laughs> who is now brewing up at Stone and Wood. Um, and so they're doing that presentation, but they're also brewing our commemorative beer, which we've never had uh, done by a group such as that before. The commemorative beer has always been done by um, by CUB, Nick Jontoff, who's a, been a great supporter of ours over the years. And so they've brewed a Saison um, at Bad Shepherd. It's in the tanks at the moment, and bottling will happen in a few weeks. So we're really looking forward to that. That'll be served at the conference, and also uh, attendees will take away a bottle. Well, well, John Preston, mate, thank you very much for, for having us on. And I should say to, to our listeners um, that John's appearance here today has been actually because of listener demand, and uh, all of you listeners have emailed in uh, suggesting it's actually been a couple of our patrons have uh, suggested that we speak to, to John, um, and we are gratis. Oh, very nice to hear. Yeah, no, people, you know, you've certainly influenced so many people in the brewing industry and uh, had an influence on so many careers and been a, a source of great knowledge to so many people that, uh, yeah, no, your name has been something that has constantly come up as somebody that we should uh, speak to. So thank you very much for, for joining us today, John. Okay, and, thank you. Um, if anyone does want to find out a little bit more, now we, we haven't really plugged your business too much, but if anyone does is tempted to get into uh, a little bit more about home brewing or, you know, dig further into all grain or even uh, make those first tentative steps um, into having their own maybe uh, brewery bar. You're able to pretty much cater to everyone um, at your uh, grain, grape and grain. Grain and grape, sorry. I need to get those That's two. right. Um, <laughs> so that's been done before. Um, yeah, look, we've. Um, I guess you'd say the emphasis of the business now is on um, education, I guess, through our demos during the week. We spend a lot of time talking to people. And that rubs off positively on the business as it goes on. And as you said, we're now as distributors for Spidal, where um, uh, I've employed Simon Haylock, who I was talking about before, and he's uh, helping people set up breweries based around the 200 and 500 litre Browmeisters, but uh, incorporating full systems. So tanks, heat exchangers, hot liquor tanks, um, keg washers, and everything you need to get started in a brewery. So, and he's worth it just to speak. His experience in marketing, you know, he's got a very technical kind of an approach, but uh, all of those things added together make a great package for just chatting about a brewery design. Oh, terrific. Well, we'll, we'll certainly link to your website so people can find out how to get in contact with you and uh, you know, get some of the benefit uh, of, of your experience and advice. Thanks very much. Well, John, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, mate, hopefully we'll get to join you for a bit. I'm not sure that I'll get down to the ANHC this year. I'm about to head off to Oktoberfest in Germany, and uh, so getting back in, wow. in October. Wow, sounds great. I've never made it there. <laughs> well, nor have I, and uh, I'm actually uh, the beer ambassador for the Brisbane Oktoberfest, which is an event that attracts 40,000 people, okay. so I thought I probably need to... I've yeah. So uh, I am heading off, but it just means that some of the other things I wanted to Absolutely do... Absolutely essential <laughs> research. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm nothing but serious about my work, uh, John. So uh, <laughs> I, I won't get down, but all the best for the ANHC. Um, and we will touch base with you afterwards Thanks, to Steve. find out a little bit more about it and also some of the learnings and uh, you know some of the presenters. And I know that uh, James Atkinson is teeing up a chat with uh, Mitch Steele um, as we speak. So uh, we'll be doing a little bit of a, a pre-conference chat with Mitch Steele as well. Fantastic. Terrific, John. Okay. Lovely to talk to you. Right. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks, John. There we go, Prof. Mate, that was a great chat. He's you know, just a lovely, lovely uh, fellow who, you know, has been around for, you know, since Adam was a boy, it seems, in the in the world of craft beer, since before craft beer well, was craft beer. Yeah, exactly. And interestingly that uh, he sort of start, kicked off the chat with um, with talk of, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Putting your stuff together in the in a time of redundancies and that sort of thing, and, and pooling your resources and, and starting the business at around about the same time that uh, Eric Walters um, started Streslecki, which is now of course Grand Ridge Brewery, um, under very similar sort of um, conditions, you know, with um, with a payout and with he and and four or five others who bought the old Streslecki Brewery and and turned it into to Grand Ridge. Um, Eric's the only one of that original crew who's sort of, you know, still with the business. The others are sort of um, sold out and, and moved on. Um, but it's interesting that the two sort of, you know, met at the crossroads virtually and, and one went one way and, and one the other. And it's interesting that 
John has the, I guess, the advantage of, of having seen so many, uh, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and, um, you know, hopeful uh, young homebrewers uh, come in one door and, and and sort of have now gone out the other door as uh, you know with a with a brand to their name or or as the brewer for some for for another company which is great. Mm. And it, actually, it, it, it's funny that the different things that leap out because the thing that I took from that was that he was glad that he didn't at a time when a lot of people were opening up breweries in the late eighties and early nineties um, and not too many of them have survived. That he's pleased that yeah. he didn't. Uh, go down that road, uh, route maybe went went another way. So, uh, you know, which is one of those things that looking at the number of people who are jumping into setting up breweries now thinking, oh, this is going to go on forever and how can you lose making uh, beer? But anyway. Um, the, the other the other key takeaway I thought, Matt, that, that really sang to me, uh, I guess, again, it's, it's uh, our combined sort of uh, age demographic, but uh, John talking about going off to bookshops and, and secondhand bookshops <laughs> in order to get information about brewing. Kids, that's how we used to do things in the olden days, all right? That's, that's research old school. We used to have to get on the bus and use our legs and find a bookstore that was open in the white pages, let our fingers do and the you walking. And you didn't, you didn't sure tap on and tap off. You had to hand a ticket to the, the bus driver. He'd rip it in half, give you the other half. Yeah. He'd punch a hole yeah. in it. That's what punch your ticket <laughs> means, it. kids. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. Uh, uh, great chatting to John. It was great. So, and uh, uh, yeah, look, if anyone who, who is thinking about it, get in and, and get your tickets now. So uh, now let's see. Um, moving on from that news this week. There's been a terribly, uh, you know, terrible amount of news, terribly large amount of news. Let me get my words out there. Um, there hasn't been a great deal of news this week, um, although one media release that did land on my desk that so I thought you might get a nice um, giggle out of uh, Prof was, just call it up, the Great Northern Brewing Company sent me a media release. Uh, Goodbye daily grind, gone fishing. Research reveals outdoor activities like fishing, camping and hiking are key to a fun life for Aussie males, yet a shocking 89% are inhibited in their desire to get back to nature. Um, there go. there's a couple of there's a couple of things from that already matt um first of all did you really need research to um commission research to determine that blokes like to go fishing camping and uh and uh, getting out in the bush and secondly did you say was it the great northern brewing company it is the great northern brewing company prof um I, I, for, I, for those for those who don't know matt whereabouts is the that's that's the one whose tagline is the, the beer from up here. That, that's, up, here up here meaning far north Queensland. Like well, no, mate. As, as the, the media release answers that in the uh, uh, interest of full disclosure, the uh, media release finishes with brewing for the Great North. In tribute to our humble beginnings, the Great Northern Brewing Company, a division of Carlton United Breweries, continues to deliver a beer that is brewed longer to produce a super crisp, refreshing Queensland lager that's perfect for the outdoors and the Australian climate. Then under a separate subheading, the beer from up here. It's our mission to show the rest of the country and the world exactly what it means to be a Queenslander. This is what the beer from up here represents. Most people don't really know what the genuine Queenslander actually looks or feels like. Life up here runs at its own unique pace. It's relaxing, but you need to have your wits about you. It's a place where mates come to reconnect and enjoy the great outdoors and nature. Um, but, right. but, in, but in answer so, to your so question, the, where, where exactly is the Great Northern Brewing Company located, Matthew? Uh, it, it, it's, it's a little place just south of Brisbane called Yattala, famous for pies and the CUB Brewery, um, which is the largest brewery in the country, I might add. Yeah, there you go. Even so not exactly. I oh, know. Look, we, we, we have talked about this before. And I know your research showed... Uh, and I then did some research just to just to double check. Depending on which route you take, um, yeah, Great Northern Brewing Company is actually closer to Melbourne. Yes, uh, Chris, than it is Chris to McNamara is, a, is 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 as we uh, as we say this, and as he listens to this, is uh, opening his email uh, machine to send me an email saying it is actually closer <laughs> because he's done that once before. But it is depending on which route you take. 
Yeah, if you take, I think it's if you take the Pacific Highway or if you take the uh, the Midland or something like that, you can yeah. you can uh, knock twenty k's off it, and it brings you down to be slightly closer to Melbourne. But it is. But funny. anyway, yeah. But, but actually, the, the, the reason away of good marketing. No, no. But the, the, the reason, despite all of that discussion that we've just had, the reason that this one actually jumped out, I thought this sounds very familiar. Research showing that seventy percent of Australian men agree that it is an important part of the Australian identity to connect with our nat- uh, natural environment, and nine in ten. Aussie males feel hindered in their desire to get outside outdoors with their mates. I thought, now I'm sure that I've seen that research before. So let me just read something to you, Pete. Uh, now this is Dateline March 15th, 2012, and it comes under the headline um, "Forex Gold Bags in Ireland Just for Its Drinkers." Um, so back then, when Forex Gold released, yeah, opened the uh, uh, Forex Island, Forex which Island. we, we yeah. weren't lucky enough to to, to get. In fact, a recent study revealed that the last time the majority, 57% of Australian males, got away for some mate's time was a year ago or longer. In fact, for one in five males, it is 10 years since they have been away with their mates, with nearly three in four confirming they get away less often than they used to. We know from our research that guys just love getting away with their mates and genuinely feel better for it. Hopefully, Forex Island will inspire them to do it more often, said McMillan. So, that. The, the thing about this, and I, I, I don't know that you've been outside of Brisbane to see it, but Great Northern is absolutely going off. It's one of uh, CUB's success stories, but it is essentially a knockoff of Summer Bright Lager, which was the Forex beer, um, which in turn was a knockoff, essentially, of Corona. Um, but now it just seems that they're recycling the research and the, uh, the, the ad campaign. So, um, the, you know, I, I remember writing a series of articles, you know, Back when blogging was uh, was new and fresh, talking about a thing that um, I think it's Jamie Cook from Stone and Wood, the, and uh, a marketing man himself, calls match racing, where the big brewers just used to if one jagged left, the other one would tack left; if one tacked right, the other one tacked right, because you never wanted to miss that wind change. But it's the first time in a long time I've actually seen them essentially uh, duplicating exactly the same marketing campaign, recycling their own guff. Yeah. Um, well, and, good on them, and, and, and that's that, you know. But that in whole, this modern day and age, sustainability, we want to be recycling, but, reuse. Yeah, but I mean that whole marketing thing of doing a survey that you are guaranteed of getting the results um, is, yeah, um, that, that, that's a whole podcast in itself because these manufactured um, you know, surveys that pretend to have some astounding result that gives you a news headline. <laughs> Um, we yeah. asked 10 blokes in a pub if they like beer. <laughs> yes, exactly. The response was overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. No, that is. So, anyway, that, that's about the only news that we had this week. Um, mailbag. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Ain't got time to take a fast train. Lonely days are gone. I'm a going home. Dermot Dowling weighed in. Uh, excellent episode with Grant Warren on the numbers. Uh, thank you, um, Dermot. Dermot has weighed in a couple of times. Now, it was actually Dermot. Um, I think a couple of cracker shows lined up with Stu and Brad from Voyager Craft Malt and John Preston from Grain and Grape, the true ambassador and champion of uh, the base of the pyramid, home brewing. Um, yep. Tick that box. Yeah. And we've got, I've got, uh, yeah, a message out to Stu to, um, uh, an invitation to Stu. So I must follow that up and, and tee up a, a time to get uh, Voyager Craft Malt on the program. Exactly. So, yeah, so, so there's no other real cards and letters um, this week. Uh, Prof, did you have... That's right. They're saving them up. Did you have a pot shop this week? No, I haven't got one this week, Matt. I'm working on one. Um, you, do you still you, you promised me that you were going to have a uh, uh, an answer yeah, to my pot shot? So you don't you don't want to have a go at the whole Carlton draft food matching with uh, um, or you? Know, well, no, no, not as a full pot shot, but just uh, my my thinking was that at least they're trying something. At least it's broaching the subject. It's you know, isn't it better to be talked about than not to be talked about at all? Well, yeah, it is, and but I guess that goes back to, to the original point. If you're going to do it, don't just half-ass it and sort of say, well, this beer and food matching is a trend, so let's shoehorn um, you know, Yender Hellas into beer and chocolate um, or let's shoehorn uh, you know, a, a beautiful, rich lamb roast with uh, Carlton Draft. 
Um, no, no, agree. And especially in Yender's case when they have or, well, have since developed um, a cracking good beer, um, in my humble opinion, um, the Twist and Stout, which would actually, I think, I haven't tested it, but I think would go quite well with a Cadbury cream egg. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Well, certainly better than the Hell's Lager would. Exactly. So, so that was my point, and, and um, I, I saw yeah, the, agree. The, I saw your um, argument. In, I think I've made your argument for me in the uh, in the pre pre ramble to that anyway. So, uh, actually, prop one thing I will say in in, in the news thing, I got my um, Stone and Wood Forefathers beer. We did our chat with Willie Simpson. Have you been seen a bottle of that? I have got a bottle of the uh, of the the Doppelbock. Yes. yes, it is absolutely luscious, um, dangerously so. Uh, I don't mind saying it's around about six percent, six and a half percent, but it is just deliciously smooth. So, uh, listeners, go out and get you. That's a definite two thumbs up from me um, for for the Doppelbock. Uh, I, I think from my memories of the Burragarang Bock, um, the Burragarang Bock was probably a little bit chewier, um, but certainly. Um, the, the, the sort of beer that can really excite your taste buds. Um, so nice yeah, work, I think really. that, yeah, this one certainly has the, the stamp of both um, the quality of, of stone and wood and the innovation and um, uh, I guess uh, honesty to tradition that that Willie Simpson will have brought to this beer. And combined, um, it, it creates a beer that is greater than the sum of its parts. So uh, yeah, so Prof. Well, look, I mean that's pretty much the show. Then great chat with John. Good to chat with you. Uh, what's coming up for you this week? And uh, have we got anybody locked in for next week? Uh, not confirmed, but I'll uh, I'll get onto that straight away now that I've got internet back in the um, in the house of Pilsner. Awesome, and uh, and we will also be putting up a special edition this week as well, listeners. Um, that is the much delayed. Uh, chat that took place in Good Beer Week, the Cryo Malt uh, Brewers and Growers uh, panel um, that we've edited down and we'll just sort of be putting out as a bit of a standalone. So look out for that um, and yeah, enjoy it. Certainly, it was a uh, it's a very interesting discussion when you're hearing from hop growers, brewers, and uh, maltsters and barley growers all about the state of that market. Um, and there's been some news this week about grain prices and things like that that uh, certainly adds more, um, dare I say, grist to that mill. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Prof. And on that note, always good to chat, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, listeners. See you all back next week. No pot shots. It's been a couple of weeks. Is this all part of that, uh, you know, green green thoughts, red thoughts uh, thing? That's it. I'm turning those red thoughts into green thoughts and just going, well, at least they're trying something. (laughs) It's the least we could do. Well, actually, the least you could have done was nothing, which is, you know, arguably better. But... Exactly. It gets people thinking about beer and oh, beer and food as a match, and yet you almost automatically seem to want to gainsay me. Not at all. I don't need to have the last word. And we're out. Blah 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 blah.